Hello there. Before we get started on the latest Walk podcast, just a reminder that the Walk Awards for Effectiveness are back and they're bigger and better than ever. We've expanded from six categories to 11, so if you can show your work has worked, there'll be a category for you. Entries are now open and best of all, they're free. Head to walk.com for more details and to download your entry pack. Remember to submit before the deadline on the 29th of March. Good luck. Now, let's get to the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Work Podcast. I'm Kathy Taylor, U.S. Commissioning Editor for Work. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about the topic everyone loves to avoid, and that's ad fraud. Our guest is David Beaton, a senior partner at Navigation Me, that stands for Marketing Effectiveness, and an accomplished innovator in bringing advanced analytics such as predictive models and optimization algorithms into alignment with business and marketing strategy. Um, Navigation Me is a co-founder also of the Crater Lake Collective, a company that brings together advanced analytics and state-of-the-art market research along with creative and media strategists to help brands make sense of it all. And welcome to the podcast, David. Well, thank you, Kathy. Pleasure to be here. So let's try to make sense of ad fraud today. It's an unfortunate side effect of the digital world, and you've obviously studied a lot of it, even though it's kind of interesting to look at your background and see, well, it's advanced analytics. So some people might go, well, what, what the heck does that have to do with ad fraud? So, so tell us the backstory about how you got involved in this whole uh, kind of messy business, I guess I would say. Yeah, it's uh, our world is all about measuring uh, and improving marketing effectiveness. And when you do that and you look at the data, you discover that there are uh, weaknesses in the digital system, particularly in programmatic. Uh, and, you know, as we like to tell people, it's not that all digital is a mess, but some of it is a deep mess. And we want to be able to help them to avoid that because, you know, they kill two birds with one stone. We get better, more effective marketing and we avoid these nasty bots. And it's, you know, it's such a sensitive topic. It's it's something that that uh, in, in the 20 plus years of dealing with highly sensitive data, I've never seen anything so emotionally charged as this particular one. Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, it's kind of um, a, a situation where we all know that bots don't buy, but as you phrased it, but yet people kind of look the other way. But first, let's just talk about the scale of the problem. Just how big is this? Well, uh, Juniper Research last year estimated that losses to ad fraud and bots are on the order of $68 billion US. Uh, The ANA published, uh, controversially enough, uh, briefly, a study that uh, pegged that number at most of $120 billion US. Just to put that in context, Dentsu estimated digital uh, budgets globally last year were on the range of 400, 410 billion. So any way you slice the numbers, um, it's a big problem. And what concerns me even more is both studies quoted double digit growth rates year over year, uh, uh, growth rates in the problem of on the order of 15 to 20%. And when I look at the numbers, uh, what concerns me, Kathy, is it, it, it's not just the absolute value of the numbers. Both studies uh, rely on bot detection technology to get a handle on the scale of this problem. Well, when you think about it, um, ad fraud and bots depend for their <clears throat> nefarious living on not being detected. 
So when I look at numbers like that, I'm thinking I'm dealing with the dunce caps of ad fraud artists here because they're being picked up. I imagine there is more. And this is, I think, the challenge with bot detection technology. I feel a lot of sympathy for people in this field because it's like an arms race. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. As they adjust and detect, the bad guys are adjusting and they have billions of reasons to do so. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like computer virus technology, right? You get the antivirus software on your computer, but it constantly needs updating because it's a problem that is kind of meant for not being able to be solved. That's the whole freaking point. You know, sometimes I've, I've heard cynics describe uh, antiviral software as a conflict of interest. So I'm, you know, I don't go down that road. But I do think that, you know, the part of the problem here is that the money is so easy that the incentives for the bad guys to get after this is massive. I mean, you're, you're, there's a quote out there I was trying to find before this podcast that essentially saying, look, that you know, the biggest source of, of illicit money, crime-driven money in the globe after drug dealing is digital ad fraud. Um, so, you know, this is, this is something that I know you, you quite rightly point out. People don't like to talk about it, but I think we need to talk about it. Why as an industry aren't we paying, you know, proper attention to this? You know, what are the, the sort of disincentives to talk about it, to go there? Well, I think there are a few. Um, I think one of the first ones is is um, media planning and buying has always placed an a, a emphasis on the cost of reach. And if you think about the world back before the internet, you had audiences that planners and buyers would understand the size of, and they would be, you know, they almost understand the price of. And now it's a question of whether they want to buy that audience or not. Along comes the web, and suddenly there are massive audiences at dirt cheap CPMs. And if you're living in a world of saying, I like inexpensive reach, it's suddenly as good as it gets. And then you can amplify that problem by saying, if I'm going to base my measure, my own effectiveness on things like clicks, app installs, downloads, likes, then guess what? Bots do that too. So you're in what I call a bot bubble. And from the inside of the bubble, the world looks just fine. In fact, the world is great. You've never done better in terms of cheap buying. Uh, inexpensive buying, and you've never done better in terms of you know engagement. If you want to use that overused word, so I think I think there's there's a there's that issue. Then I think there's an issue that uh, ad tech is incredibly confusing and opaque, and a lot of people don't want to ask too many questions because they're afraid mm -hmm. of looking dumb. And frankly, most of the people who are making these decisions, Kathy, they're they're not ad tech people, right? You know, they, they you know they don't spend their time thinking about these issues. They want to get on with their job. They're, they're they're good at what they do. They're getting drawn into a trap. They're getting put into a bubble, and the incentives are wrong. Like if if you believe that you're doing a great job based on what's happening in the bubble, you're going to want to stay in the bubble. Well, you know, from what I hear, bots are really interested in you know buying buying cars and cosmetics and all that. So I think we're I think we're fine. I think we're good. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this is where we we coined the term bots don't buy because we want people to think about that. I mean, think about the difference between buying media based on real world effectiveness. Like, I want to sell cars. Like, I want the the, the metric I need to you know focus on is not a vanity vanity digital metric. It's selling cars. But the connecting the dots from digital activity to cars moving off the sales lots, that's a little more challenging than the tools that are available in digital today, especially on the attribution side. So that's what we need to start. That's what we need to start building if we're going to, you know, if we're going to take care of this problem. Well, one thing that I 
find really intriguing about talking to someone like you about this is that in terms of detecting ad fraud, you're coming at it from a very different place than trying to uh, detect the ad fraud itself, if you will, because you're you're looking at it from, you know, the from the effectiveness standpoint. Was this me- media effective, and does this does this actually, you know, all add up? You had that great example when we were prepping for this about um, the the app install uh, company that that you've worked with, and it kind of shows how what you what people should be doing is not necessarily relying on ad fraud technology, but looking at outcomes and seeing seeing if that really adds up. So I'd love for you to kind of talk through that example, if you don't mind. Yeah, this is a company that, um, as you say, relies on app installs. And once people install an app, they've got to do things that real people do in order to generate revenue for the for the company. Um, and, you know, what they were getting unbelievably cheap app installs. Like, I've never seen any numbers like that. Um, and, and yet, um, as those app install numbers go up wonderfully, that's great, everybody can celebrate, what they're noticing is that the real-world behavior that they rely on for the revenue has been declining. It's softening. Mm-hmm. That's the first signal that something is happening in the digital world that you need to better understand. I know you've talked a lot about turnoff experiments, and I believe that was what happened when uh, Chase reduced the number of websites that it advertised on a few years ago. Um Oh, they reduced it by what about ninety five percent or something along those lines, and found the same results. So, I'd love for you to walk people through how how you do that, what that is, and you know why it's so important to to kind of look at your media buying from from that perspective, which is a little different than what we normally think of. The New York Times did a good article you were referring to a few years ago, um, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, had ads appearing on 400,000 websites, cut it to 5,000 websites, and same results. And think about well, what the heck is going on on those other 395,000 websites that they had they had money flowing to. Obviously, not very much in terms of you know real world uh, outcomes. So uh, when when you look at situations like that, you, you have to ask yourself, well, isn't a turnoff experiment kind of a drastic reaction to this kind of is? But I think that's that's where the dynamic is in some organizations. I, you know, I, I I think a properly designed turnoff experiment has to look at things like timing, seasonality, create a truly random, uh, you know, controlled design, and something to compare it to. And I'm not sure these these turnoff experiments sometimes do that. I think they're kind of a blunt. Just switch it off and see what happens. Um, so it, it's another way of picking up the idea that something's wrong, but it still leaves you with the idea that. Okay, mm-hmm. so what do we do now? Um, and I think what we've been advocates of, you know, to your point, is is you know there are plenty of people out there who are doing bot detection technology to various degrees of effectiveness, mm-hmm. uh, and I think some are very good, and I'm I have questions about others, but you know when we we look at it and we say our value add is I, I don't want to be another bot detection company. What we want to do is k- stick to our core of uh, effectiveness measurement and optimization. And when you do that, you're steering the business to a buy mm-hmm. that's more oriented to what people really do to build a business. They buy things, they become new customers, you know, they do other things that translate into business value. And that requires us to do modeling techniques that work in the, in the, in the task of evaluating how channels work together 
and then adopting those techniques for buying in the digital ad space. So we've we've done that route, we've tested it, and and mm-hmm. we get a double whammy. One is when you do a model that way and you look at it a certain way, you can see that the bottom 20, 25% of spend is enormously ineffective. I mean, it's if you think about a, a, a curve where the top deciles are at a certain level of effectiveness and then it declines by decile, it's yeah. like it falls off a cliff around the bottom 20, 25%. There's just nothing going on there. And some of that we believe is bot pollution. Um, and we're started work now with uh, ad fraud researchers Augustine Fu is one um, who's got a, 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 a technology that we like, all right, where, where we're going to test that and be able to say, well, okay, can we not only avoid it, but can we, there's a gray area between absolutely avoiding and, you know, absolutely wanting to buy, where we combine the idea of bought presence, the price of the media, and its predicted business lift in order to make, a, make better decisions about it. You know, and, and I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring incentives back into the process that help the business, but just make bots irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of what's what's happened is you know we've we've had a marketplace where, as I started off the top, is that cheap reach um, has become very important. So you know people are chasing low CPMs, and that, that, look, that's not just a media agency; that's clients demanding cheaper media. You know, that's procurement departments demanding cheaper this and cheaper that. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, you get what you pay for. And and I think if you can, if you can, instead of having a conversation about, well, how cheap is this media? We need to twin that with a conversation about, well, how much business lift are we getting from it? I, I've always said we can't evaluate media on price alone. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's such a pervasive problem, even if you take bots out of the equation, which admittedly you cannot do, right? You're still dealing with with something that looks at marketing as an expense rather than an investment. So how do I get more cheaper? And that isn't necessarily what's going to move your business forward. Yeah. And I think this is a cultural issue and it's an issue between the CMO, the CFO, the CEO. And it's also an issue of the maturity of the analytics marketplace. Um, If we're building analytics that have a high degree of accuracy and reliability, um, then we can create outcomes of those analytics that can be proven. And at that point, um, you're in a position to steer the ship more effectively. You're in a position to deliver to the board what they're looking for, which is growth uh, against a, a marketing investment. Because it is, it is an investment. I mean, it's there to raise sales, not to you know, be an expense in, in and of itself. But in the absence of that, you fall back, the whole world falls back on proxies. You know, the reason why I think a lot of media agencies love digital metrics, it's a proxy. They don't have data about real-world effects in sufficient granularity, in sufficient detail, in sufficient in, in the right time yeah. in order to use that for the kind of activity they're doing every day. I, mean, I, I, I sympathize with them. But we can change that. You can change that because we can create tools that allow them to have access to understanding the impact of their planning and buying on real outcomes. Um, without compromising yeah. the 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 confidentiality of those outcomes, so it it it, it does really need to have a, a spotlight shone on this because, at the end of the day, no, I, I, there's nobody I know in this in the digital ad business that you know wants to be involved in these things. It's embarrassing. The good news is what we've consistently found in our work is that brands underspend their opportunity. When you look at the real data of how their, their, their advertising affects real outcomes, they're not spending enough. So the fear I think the industry has in some quarters is that, well, if we go after this bot thing and we get our budgets cut, you know, 
there's going to be all sorts of problems. And it's the issue here is not cutting the budget. The issue here is growing sales. And in the process, we're, we're going to make bots irrelevant. Um, and, and I do think when, if the analytics are robust enough that brands will then look at the situation and say, well, I need to, there's an opportunity here. Um, yeah. I, I don't know of anybody at the C-suite level that if the analytics are solid enough, will not want to invest, even in tough times, uh, if, if risk has been taken care of. Yeah. Well, well, one thing I wanted to ask about looking at real world effects, I mean, obviously not every object- objective is a sales objective. You know, there are brand awareness objectives, et cetera. So just briefly, if you could discuss how you can kind of measure for that rather than somebody went and bought my my beautiful um, tube of toothpaste. Um, how does how does that kind of um, work? Well, the way the way we do it is that we start with the idea of uh, this end uh, objective in mind. Like what what is the brand trying to do? If they're trying to sell tubes of toothpaste, then we want to have data about sales of tubes of toothpaste. Um, and then we want to be able to explain why variation in those sales happen. And obviously, marketing communication drives that. But the way we approach it is is we we take that data and we're very uh, granular about the way we build it into models, um, maybe more so than the than usual practice. Um, and when you do it at that level, we're trying to ex- we're trying to develop these models to the point where they can explain ninety percent or more of the variation in sales is taking place. To reach that objective, it's not an mm-hmm. arbitrary one. As as accuracy goes up, risk goes down. Because if, if you're implementing a model with a relatively low accuracy, you run the risk that the client can actually implement recommendations based on that model and be worse off than they were before the model came along. So we want an accuracy level high enough that we've reduced that risk um, and high enough that we've got you know, prescriptions that are reliable and we will see the outcomes that, that, that we're after. Inevitably, when you build it that way, you realize that marketing communication alone is not going to explain the, some of these variations. There are other factors at play, some of which the marketer controls, some of which they don't. But to get at the correct attribution, you need to take all those things into account. It's forcing, it's forcing analysts to be responsible for that level of accuracy that creates kind of a, a, kind of a, a phase change, if you like, of the way analytics play out. And then once we've got that kind of asset, you can take it back into the digital buying and planning process. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, let's fight algorithms with algorithms, if, if you want to put it that way. Right. Uh, and right, let's get let's get rid of the irrelevant algorithms. Let's get rid of the ones that are steering us into bot traffic, and let's put something in place that actually creates real world positive change. No, th- thanks, because I'm I'm sure that's a question a lot of people would would wonder about. So, what's an industry wide approach to kind of changing changing the signal and get getting rid of you know the groups that you you referred to at one point as the ostriches. And the hospital gowns, the people who pretend that the back isn't open and they're there naked and all all that good stuff. I better explain that because the audience was saying, what the heck is he talking about? Yeah, hospital gowns. What's with that? So I, I, I like to segment problems. I like to de-average problems. When I think about the industry, I think about the people we've talked about and talked to about this, client side, supply side, etc. And I, I come across three types. And the first type I would call the ostriches. And as it sounds, they have their head in the sand. They don't want to talk about bots. They don't want to hear about it. The world, you know, again, from the inside of the bot bubble, the world looks pretty good. Like, why are we coming along and raining on their parade? Uh, so I kind of I, I get that. that you know, we, 
you know, to, to help that group, we've got to introduce them to some real world outcomes that kind of make them rethink. And that's where the turnoff experiments kind of came into play in my mind and still come into play. The second group is what I call the hospital gowns. Now, I, I have to say the reason I call them the hospital gowns, I, I think whoever invented the hospital gown, Kathy, has a very dark sense of humor. Yeah, I would agree with that. Right. I mean, tied up at the back, you have no idea if you're covered, you know, and you may not be covered and it can be very embarrassing if you're not covered. You don't even know it. And so I, you know, I, I call them, you know, quietly to myself, the hospital gowns, because they're reliant on other people to tell them it's okay. The agency tells them it's okay. The bot detection can come and tell them it's okay. They ticked a box on their to-do list. They're moving on, mm-hmm. but they may not be covered and they may not be covered in a way that's very embarrassing to the business. So the, the, the issue there is uh, running some counterfactuals. And again, turnoff experiments could be a kind of counterfactual, but so is digging into the kind of work that that researchers do to, to say, well, can I really trust my bot detection technology? Um, it, am I really getting the real world outcomes that I think I'm paying for? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I, I should be questioning whether I've got a measure of success that's too digital and therefore too uh, exposed to what bots can do. And what can I do about that? Um, yeah. And then finally, you know, the group I see, and I, I think unfortunately these days there's still a minority is what I would call aware and concerned They've heard about it. Um, they've, they've done some of their own research. They've detected it. They found out it's there. They're doing something about it. Uh, and, and, but I, you know, look, if you're, if you're an aware and concerned media planner and buyer and you're sitting in an office with 10 other people who are ostriches or hospital gowns, the world can be kind of lonely. Fortunately, we live in a very evidence-based, or we, we believe we do live in a very evidence-based world. And, you know, we can expose bots by this idea that they don't buy. And, and yeah. know, we, we, we can move audiences along. I, I, I think to make change happen, I think the thing we don't want to do is be pointing at people and saying, well, you're feeding money to crooks through ad fraud. Um, I think what we want to do is say instead, you know what? We all are interested in improved marketing effectiveness. Let's do it in a way uh, that makes digital buying impervious um, to bot pollution. Yeah, I, I exactly because you can't run around pointing fingers all day, and and I I think additionally when you look at say those numbers that um, we cited at the beginning of the podcast where Juniper says it's sixty eight billion and you know that that A and A report uh, said it was one hundred twenty million a billion rather, and you can get in arguments about how big it is, but to a certain extent that's not the point. It's huge. And it needs to be solved. Yeah, and and you know, to your point, if it's if it whatever the number is, um, what brands need to understand is their exposure, um, and the industry numbers can help them get motivated. But at the end of the day, they got to find out what their exposure is. And what worries me is there are brands out there who may be far more exposed than they think. Like the the this, the the download company I cited earlier may be far more exposed than they think. Uh, and, you know, unless they come to grips with that number and trying to understand how digital activity relates to real world outcomes better, they sail merrily along mm-hmm. and the problem continues. Um, so I'd like to close with you giving everybody out there a, f- a few p- pieces of advice um, to kind of move the ball forward in terms of killing bots forever. So I was thinking about this, um, and I, I, I would boil it down to three. I, I mean, the first one is get real. Um, and this is about the idea we've talked about where you, you need to figure out if you're in a bot bubble 
And if you're in a pop bubble, you need to get out of it. Um, you need to change the signal. You need to demand if you're a CMO that your digital teams are focusing on real world outcomes, not digital outcomes only. And they will, they may have objectives, objectives, objections about that. Help them deal with those objections. Don't let the objections take over the conversation. Uh, get real. Um, the second I would say is building knowledge. Like we all live busy lives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't have time to become experts and bought, you know, what these jerks are doing. But a little education can go a long way. A little exposure to some of what researchers are writing in the space can go a long way. And so a little bit of that I, I'm, I'm recommending. Just enough to, to give, you know, give you the feel that you can, you can detect something is going wrong. And the third one I would say is build a smarter network. Um, I'll come back to that image of, you know, you're an aware and concerned person about this problem, but you're sitting in an office with 10 other media planners and buyers who mm -hmm. are in hospital gowns and ostrich mode. Build a better network. Reach out to people who share your concern about this. If you're a CMO, talk to your CFO. Um, you know, hire agencies that know about this problem and want to deal with it, want to get into the real world and avoid this kind of thing. Um, you know, have listen to the analysts who have concerns and amplify their their concerns. Again, we're in a fact-based business. You know, we can tell whether the concerns are legitimate or they're not legitimate. And and that network, I think, will help you know build resilience about how you're going to deal with this. There's no doubt that that some uh, um, it's going to be a shock to the system in some brands when they realize they can't keep paying a dollar a thousand CPMs. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to start paying realistic numbers for to real humans. What a novel concept that is. But that's where you've got to bring in this idea of real world effects. It's worth paying more for audience who will actually buy things. I, I, we shouldn't even have to say that. Um, but we've been spoiled by this idea that we can, you know, we can get cheap reach. We're going to have to have this conversation about real world outcomes. We're going to have to change the way we're thinking about planning and buying. We're going to have to move digital from a pure digital measurement into a real world measurement. There are efforts required to do that. They are well worth it. Yeah, well, just one one last question prompted by this advice is we're obviously in a weird economic time. I don't know how else to describe it. It seems like it's a difficult time to talk to the CFO about uh, buying uh, higher CPMs. What would be your response if you were in that conversation? Well, I think when the question comes up, you have to say to yourself, my God, I'm being dragged into a bot bubble. And what I would what I would say to the CFO is, do we care about bottom line impacts? Do we care about growing our business? Okay, so let's have a conversation about that. How do we grow our business? Do we grow our business by chasing CPMs that, that are demonstrably bot polluted um, and that have no proven connection to real world outcomes? Well, we should all be able to agree on that. Even the most skeptical CFO should be able to agree on that. Then if we can say, well, it, it, if the CFO is rightly coming from a point of view of saying, well, look, I don't know what the real world impacts there. Therefore, I'm going to fall back on a proxy of price. The conversation now goes to, well, why don't we replace a bad proxy with a good measure of outcome? Let's do that. So it will take, it will take effort. But I think the CFO and this can be the most powerful ally that a marketer can have because they are focused on bottom line impact. They have both the marketer and the CFO have a fiduciary duty. We can become more effective marketers and in the process make bots irrelevant. So that, that whole shift in thinking of, of it's not just about cheap, it's not just about price, it's about what's buying media that will grow your business. 
that has to become systematic. That has to become something the clients buy into because if the clients buy into it, then the agencies will buy into it as well. And I think there are many agencies out there who would love to be in this world, but are getting dragged back into the cheap is good world. And, you know, that, that just has the fraud artists rubbing their hands in glee because they say, well, here we go, more chumps, to, you know, to serve up bot traffic. Thanks, David. It was so great to have you on the podcast and talk not just about ad fraud, but also about how looking at marketing effectiveness helps combat ad fraud. Thank you. So with that, I want to thank everybody for listening. But before we go, I want to remind you to subscribe to the Work Podcast if you don't already. It's available on all of your favorite platforms. And if you want to know more about ad fraud content, of course, turn to work. Thank you. Thank you.